0: This podcast is made possible through donations from listeners like you and our partners at Tallman Equipment, where they pride themselves on equipping their customers with the tools they need to get the job done right. They are dedicated to set the standard for quality, convenience, and reliability. At Tallman, your opinion is important to them. Rate and review any product or tool you've used on their new website at tallmanequipment.com. Line 1-1 one one Clothing Company making apparel for our first responders with a positive message to patriots that you can be proud of. A proceed of the cost goes to helping our foundation ignite the fire for father engagement. Give them a follow at line11clothing on Instagram. And last but not least, Monzingo Knives. Each knife is created with craftsmanship that only a tradesman could provide. Find them on Instagram at Monzingo Knives and get your American-made Monzingo Knife today. <laughs> hey guys welcome to the show up dad this podcast is created for hard-working fathers at the show up dad we recognize that fathers providing for the children is certainly important but when women truly understand their unique role and gain the knowledge and skills to be great fathers they can transform and impact future generations today's guest is gordon corsetti through public speaking engagements and workshops, he teaches breathwork, body awareness, mindfulness, meditation, and how to remain calm and grounded in any situation. He is also an apprentice lineman for Volt down in Georgia. Welcome to the show up, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much, David. It's I'm so excited to be on here and chat with you. Absolutely, man. So, As always, Gordon, I always have our guests go ahead and open up to our audience and tell us about. A little bit about yourself, you know what I mean? So if you don't mind doing that, take the stage. Bro. Sure.
1: sure thing. So the, uh, the the slightly longer than elevator version is um, I'm recently 34. I'm an apprentice lineman down here in Georgia, specifically in the Atlanta downtown area and working my way into this trade and learning everything I can about it. Uh, previously, when COVID hit, I was an instructional designer. I lived up in Maryland working for USA Lacrosse in their officials development program. I was building curriculums, trying to make referees better, giving them any resource they could uh, to learn what they wanted to do better. And then I moved down to a for-profit company in Atlanta to be closer to home. One, five years away from my family was, was long enough, Came back, came back home. And then when COVID hit and I'm making great money, but everything's remote, I just got severely depressed again. And I have a long history since about 15 of dealing with severe depression. I'm, a, I'm depressive is how I describe it. And generalized anxiety disorder and a severe history of suicide attempts mm. and mostly in my early 20s. And I've had a long up and down struggle with dealing with my, my inner demons, my, the part of my brain that wants me to die. And so as my family dealt with that, and I have used lacrosse my lacrosse playing experience my lacrosse refereeing experience in that community to keep me sane and to keep me alive and tethered to reality, and I wasn't getting that when I was doing my nine to five. Right. I was, I was, I was stuck in that space and i had recently been released from the hospital and a 90 day treatment program at a great spot here in Georgia called Skyland trail. They're a recognized place uh, for treatment of, of addiction disorders, as well as m- mental illness disorders. And I was in the best place I'd ever been mentally. And I was in the worst place mentally going into work. And I said, I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I, I gave my two weeks notice And I spent the whole summer of 2019 wondering what the heck do I want to do with my life? And refereeing was what I loved. Small crews outside safety conscious. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I want to do that, but I can't make a living refereeing. And I had some friends of mine who were in the utility industry and they kept saying that linemen go home happy. They Mm -hmm. work hard, but they go home happy. And if you're willing to make the sacrifices, you could do the same. And I'm like, that's what I want to have in my life. That's how I want to live. And I found a phenomenal school called the Elite Lyman Training Institute up in Tunnel Hill, Georgia, run by some former Georgia Power um, company employees, Journey, Journeyman Lyman there. And ever since then, every single day on the line has been, or in my case, mostly on the ground with a shovel, uh, It has still been <laughs> a phenomenal experience. And I'm just happy to be in a spot where I am healthy for myself, uh, for my family, for my girlfriend now. Uh, and just doing the things I want to do and then having the time to do my mental agility work and teaching other people how to stay calm.
0: Mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty awesome to see that you had these struggles, right? I mean, not that the struggles are awesome, of course, but, uh, <laughs> to see that you had these struggles and that you're able to find a passion, a purpose in line work. And I think that's, that's amazing that you're able to do that. Cause a lot of guys don't find that purpose. You know, and, and a lot of guys who are linemen don't have that purpose either, right? They tend mm-hmm. to um, identify with their job more than anything else, you know what I mean? And if that gets taken away, if they get injured or whatever, then they go into this depression, right? Now, with that being said, I wanted to kind of touch a little bit more back in your in your life about growing up. Like, sure. how was life growing up, brother?
1: Life was good. Uh, that's, I've had a lot of folks ask me, especially young people. When I, when I talk at some schools where they're like, did something happen to you? Like what, what made the, the turn down for the brain? And I'm like, I am the poster boy for genetic depression. Mm-hmm. It's all along my maternal line. Uh, mother has severe depression. We learned my grandfather had severe depression. He was a contractor for many years. My great, everything along that end, there's something going on with the brain wiring and chemicals that doesn't bode well. And I had a phenomenal childhood. I've had two loving parents. They're still married now. (laughs) Um, I I didn't want for anything growing up, solidly like upper middle class. Dad was always employed. Mom was always home. Uh, uh, Loving all the way through family vacations, trips, holidays, heavy emphasis on education and doing physical things, sports, exercise, whatever. Um, no, for what I could point to traumatic experiences, I had as good a upbringing as I could possibly ask for. And I'm fortunate to to be able to say that I know not everybody can. Mm -hmm. And that made it doubly difficult when I turned about 15, 16, and I'm in high school and I'm waking up and the first thought in my head every morning is I'm worthless. I'm a horrible individual and not knowing what was the genesis of those thoughts Mm -hmm. And then the the other side thing to depression that many people do not aware of is part of the disease is is keeping it a secret because it feels like something you need to keep internal,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so it, it it eats you from the inside out in that way. And I spent five years of my life completely untreated with major depressive disorder, which led to uh, some suicide attempts and it could have gone entirely the other direction. And I'm fortunate that I'm still here uh, and that I got my family supporting me in that way, but I, nothing caused it. I just, Mm -hmm. I got a bad roll of the dice when it comes to genetics Mm -hmm. on that one. And for me, it's, I've got these cards. This is what I was dealt. How do I play the best hand that I can? And the last 15 years has been learning all the skills, techniques and strategies to deal with my inner opponent. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. No. And I, I just got to commend you to, for you stepping up and, and looking to see what plagued you, you know what I mean? And not allowing that to help you, you know what I mean? To keep you in that victim mentality state, you know what I mean? To where, Oh, woe was me? You know, I'm going to continue in this, this path, you know what I mean? You looked for another way, you know?
1: Well, it's the big thing I look to do is, is inspiring some other people is a sense that there is agency. Mm -hmm. Um, You just got to find really what is going to work for you. It's not you know, finding you know, it's not everything's going to work for everybody, but everybody, I, I honestly believe, has their thing mm-hmm. to one degree or another. And if you can find it or if you don't, you can at least be open to it and be a little curious. And for me, it became a thing of I became curious about my brain. Mm-hmm. And so I dove into in the same way I used to game plan against opponents when I was in kickboxing or jujitsu or my team did against lacrosse opponents when I was playing in high school and a little bit of college was find the strengths and weaknesses and the patterns in your opponent. And I just had to turn that around in my head and look at the little bar of myself that didn't like me and apply those same things. And so that's what I've done for the better part of a decade plus. And now I get to share some of those techniques uh, with younger people who are super freaking stressed out about everything, especially some of the new groundmen on my cruise here, where yeah. I'm like, I make a mistake and I can laugh it off. These guys make a mistake and they go into a hole. And I'm like, guys, we can we can look at this a completely different way and mm-hmm. learn some skills in the process. And that's that's what I'm I, I bring with what I do with mental agility is a skills-based training to game planning against the worst your brain has to has to throw at you.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. No, and, that, and that's awesome. I, I really commend you on that. Once again, um, one of the interesting things that I heard you say was how you tended to want to keep that in, and it was mm. eating you up. Now, we've had other guests that came on and talked about shame, and how shame is a silencer. You know, do you feel that what you were feeling was shame to that aspect, like where you didn't want to com- talk to anybody about it? Or? It was it, it, it's a very real sense of that shame
1: it, it's an emotion I think we could all do without it one yes. it, it is it is one that tends to isolate on uh, in an unwarranted sense. I mean mm-hmm. we all feel guilt and that I think at least is a motivator for doing right by somebody else or yourself. Mm-hmm. Shame tends to just it's it's acidic it dissolves every bitia and looking back, I certainly, when I became aware of my depression and I knew that I didn't have to keep this stuff secret and that I had family members that loved me and friends that cared for me, then I felt a double heaping of shame because I'm like, I know I can reach out to these people, but I still feel like I can't. Right. And that's Mm. the illness talking. So I, 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 you know, mentally whipped myself with that all the time. But my bigger issue is I didn't know what I didn't know for my first five years of being untreated with this. Mm -hmm. Right. And this stuff compounds over time daily. Those thoughts of I'm worthless start becoming the thoughts of you should kill yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. That's the, that's the end result of those kinds of thoughts. I was under a misapprehension, a misunderstanding of, I thought everybody else every other adult, all of my peers were dealing with the exact same horrible thoughts that I was dealing with,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but that they were just clearly dealing with them so much better. Like they are able to smile and pass their classes and do the things they want to do. I thought these were the consequences of getting older, that just everybody dealt with this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I just wasn't tough enough to deal with it. And that type of thinking, that reliance on having to be tough and going out solo and grip my teeth and just try to get through it, that to be, you know, graphic for a reason, put me on a stool with a noose around my neck. Like mm-hmm. that, that thinking got me there and it was breaking out of that thinking. It wasn't so much learning how to get out of the depression and the anxiety that I experienced on a you know, frequent basis. Mm-hmm. It was getting through all the learned responses that I had picked up over the years that were just not healthy.
0: -hmm Now you talked about learned responses. I know a lot of times we learn stuff from our childhood. you know, um, Dr. Stephen Poulter talks about how there's a tendency for us to go back to how we we're raised, you know and deal with certain situations. So say, for instance, if you were yelled at as a child a lot and told you're worthless or whatever, when that reoccurs again in life, say, for instance, in this trade, where you have a lineman yelling at you, Hey, you're you're POS, get your shit together, pull your head out of your butt, whatever, whatever it may be, you automatically transcend, I guess, in a sense to that, how you felt in there. And then you feel that shame, you know what I mean? And then you tend to clam up, right? Is is that what I'm getting or? It's a,
1: it's a, it's a a paralysis sense. I've certainly seen that in, in, in student athletes, especially with the expectation of perfection, Um, I'm fortunate that I've been a referee for 16 years Mm -hmm. and when you spend that long in the chaos of competition you learn to find the eye of the storm and kind of ride within that Mm -hmm. Um, but I'll I'll translate what I usually say uh, when I'm speaking with with players to what I would now say to to those who are have been in the 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 line work trade Mm -hmm. is if I have my journeyman throw a tool at me and say you're a terrible effing groundman Mm -hmm. in my head I get to go, because of my depression, I get to go, no, 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 no. I'm not a terrible effing groundman. I'm a terrible human being. I'm awful. I am so, like, nobody can insult Mm -hmm. me better than I have. I have so much more practice on being cruel to myself than anyone ever will Mm -hmm. will reach in my professional and personal lives. Mm -hmm. What I don't want people to have to do is experience that degree of depression and self-loathing to get Mm -hmm. there. But what I do tend to see is generally these kids just not knowing how to process negative information given to them at high decibel levels. Yeah. And as if for some reason that it's a, a, you know, any type of of mistake that gets noticed and then shouted down at them or or whatever Mm -hmm. uh, tends to clam them up. And I see it. I'd certainly see it in the sense of just like, yeah, if you've been yelled at your whole life, the best thing to do in that sense is, is to quiet up and just ride it out, right? You expend way less energy that way than to try to shout back. And when you're growing up, you don't have that. You're not louder than your dad or, or your, your guardians, your parents, whatever your teachers, your coach, whomever on that sense. I was just fortunate that I had a, a, an inner insulter that was just better at that than anybody else. (laughs) So I get to laugh that off internally Um, but that's a weird superpower of depression that I, I get to lean on. Mm -hmm. What I generally do is I teach, um, I haven't done this with any apprentices, uh, who have been on my cruise yet, uh, but I do this for high school athletes, especially when they do a lot of negative self-talk I say, Hey guys, you guys get on this loop of whatever that thought is like, I suck, I'm terrible. Right. Mm -hmm. And that is the thought you wake up with. And it's the thought you go to bed with, and then any mistake during the course of your day just reinforces that thought. So of course you go to bed feeling like crap. Yeah. And the problem with that, and the thing that I've found with my depressive voice is that it's the exact same voice that I have when I think and talk to myself in my head. And the problem with that, I think, is that we tend to think we're right,
0: Mm. right? Yeah.
1: And it's hard to argue with ourselves (laughs) when the same (laughs) voice. So I cannot remember where I came across this technique, but years and years ago, I ran across a technique called cartoon voice replacement. And the whole idea is you pick a cartoon character that speaks Mm -hmm. and you take whatever internal thought you have or external insult coming your way and you just repeat it to yourself in the voice of that cartoon character. Now, I've done this with adults, with kids. Everybody has the same reaction. They get a little chuckle because when I tell them I use Elmer Fudd for my depressive voice. Mm -hmm. So instead of you're a terrible person, I go, you're a terrible person. You are horrible, right? And you get a little chuckle. It's not a big laughter thing, but what you do in that space, taking your voice and putting the absurd comment that you're insulting yourself with or that somebody else is doing to you, you can make the absurd sound as absurd as it is. So if I have a lineman that tells me I'm a POS, I'm like, no, nah, I'm just new. I don't know anything. <laughs> I'm trying. I'll give you, <laughs> right? That said, if I'm reiterating that to myself at night, I don't have to listen to it in my lineman's voice. I can put it in Elmer Fudd's voice or SpongeBob's voice Mm. or whatever. And it's so much easier to diminish that thought and make it and humiliate that thought in a sense, make it funny. You laugh it off. It feels so much more easy to let go of that thought. And so that's one of the techniques I share with especially student athletes who have the worst negative self-talk I've ever heard of, even though they're usually the most high-performing young individuals I've ever met. Uh, but that's what I do on the field in lacrosse games and certainly out on the line when I've been on storm. And it's 16-hour days, and we're, we're going to say things to each other at some point. But I don't want to hold on to that for longer than I need to.
0: No, and that totally makes sense, too. Um, when you are talking about that, I started thinking about using Yoda's voice. You know, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean, I, I don't know how many times I've done that, you know what I mean, where where I was an apprentice and I would, you know, kind of mimic the same thing and use Yoda's voice, you know, and um, same and it, principle, same, same principle. <laughs> and uh, it, it's, it's funny that you said that, because I remember a time and I'll share with you this instance. I was an apprentice one time and I had this one lineman and he was a Navajo and um, he had a speech impediment. He would slur. Mm. great lineman though i mean this guy was absolutely amazing i mean he was like rain man for line work right anyhow um he was up in the air with a a brand new journeyman and he was showing him something and i had never used a tensioner right and he wanted Mm. me to let up on the on the dogs right so i didn't know what i was doing i'm over here pumping and turning knobs and doing all kinds of stuff and he's getting mad he's cussing me out dude and like I said, he had a speech in Panama, and then he also had this uh, this language barrier, right? Well, he comes down. He's madder than hell. He walks up to me. He looks at me, and he starts turning all kinds of knobs. And then he he, he turns and he looks at me again with this blank stare, and he tells me, what do you want these uh, instructions in English or spinach? And what he meant was Spanish, right? <laughs> I started cracking up, dude. He was so mad. <laughs> he was pissed, man. He's like, what do you want this in? English or spinach, he tells me. And I, I, I look at him. I just, I couldn't hold it in, dude. I think I spit all over him when I started laughing. Anyhow, long story short, it kind of diffused the whole situation. You know And I mean? He's like, F you. He had to smile too, you know. And uh, he tells me, F you cock, you know, yeah, whatever. Oh, yeah. You yeah Oh dude it was just hilarious dude but uh that diffused that situation cuz it was highly stressful I mean it didn't need to be stressful he could have simply showed me how to run that thing before he even left me on the ground you know and um, it was just one of them things you know where as an apprentice you had to learn you know and, and not not wear your feelings on your sleeves you know what i mean it's um, that
1: and it it's also where one of the things I do at my, at the trade school that I went to is I I go back and I share my story of, of overcoming suicide through philosophy and through some of these techniques I've picked up and different therapeutic modalities. And, and they, they have a thing where they do character development with each class every week. And so they'll do like, you know, elite vision, elite honesty, uh, elite uh, vulnerability is my piece. Mm -hmm. Um, And I come in and I show these guys, I'm like, look, some, some of y'all, most of y'all are, are 18, 19, 20. Some of the gentlemen in here are my age in their early thirties. And you all are going into a hard trade by choice. So I'll commend you on that. And you're going into a trade that, that can be life or death or severely injurious if you don't know what the heck's going on. And everybody in here, myself included, I've been doing this for a year and two months. I'm just starting to know what I don't know. Right, <laughs> So I'm, I'm keeping my eyes open. I'm trying to be as much of a sponge as I possibly can because that's what I need to do to be safe and get back to my family, my girl. Uh, but the thing that I teach these guys is he, I'm going to model how to ask for help using my experiences with suicide and being vulnerable for you guys for an hour on a Thursday or a Friday morning uh, before you guys go out to the pole circle or go out and start making up lines And my hope, my goal is that, I don't care if you're 18 or 45, is that if you're coming into this industry green, you need to be comfortable with being vulnerable, and you need to be comfortable being like, I've never done this before, yell at me if you want to, just show me what you want me to do, Hmm. because that is going to cut down on the likelihood of injury, death, uh and quite honestly yeah crew's getting fired moved around whatnot it's just if we can all just be honest with ourselves for a second and be like we're coming in this industry for whatever reason is hot right now to a lot of young guys coming into this thing Mm -hmm. so let's do right by them and show them the way and have a little respect for the learning process as well and as long as we tell them if you don't know something ask me we'll explain Mm -hmm. it If I have to keep telling you what it is, we're going to have a different conversation. But that I I use vulnerability my story of suicide and overcoming that
0: uh, to teach these
1: guys, hey, it's okay to ask questions.
0: Mm -hmm. And I see that too, even with our apprentices, I see a lot of issues with retainment. Um, But one of the big things I do not understand is we do tell them, uh, every instructor that I know tells them, if you don't know something, say it. This is the environment we're providing for you to be able to learn. You know, Mm. and I think, and you'll, you'll see, you'll even like, say, for instance, in the trans baker or whatever, you'll see these apprentices who will kind of step back when it comes down to transformer bakes or whatever, they step back or they try to hide, you know what I mean? And I don't know what it is. I mean, we could open up the doors. I mean, other than taking them to the side and and showing them the connections and being cool with them and, and, and doing all these different aspects of it until we do that. I don't know if it's shame that's keeping them from saying, Hey man, I honestly don't know this. I'm, I'm not boomed up in this. I need you guys to help me. You know what I mean? I don't know what it is, but they will not do it. You know?
1: The thing to, to that specific problem of, and, and it's on this, there's, there's plenty of stuff on there of how, how, uh, how boomers talk to millennials and millennials to Gen Z and everything in there. And I can get Mm -hmm. wrapped up in the terms as much as possible, but, You know, my my dad worked on Wall Street for his entire career, but he was Mm -hmm. a coach with a blue collar mentality. So I was raised in that space. And so I can wear both collars, I think, and do them fairly well. I just enjoy the the physical labor more. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I find with these guys is like uh, a couple of apprentices are just like they're just not there. They haven't been around. My mother's a carpenter. She learned Mm -hmm. that from my grandfather. I picked up how to work with my hands from them. Some of these guys just don't have those skills. Right. They just don't. Mm -hmm. And they get a little embarrassed by that and they want to hide that. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We're going to, we're going to shine a bright light on this thing. We are, we are at least, these things wither and die. This shame withers and dies under a bright light. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to berate you. You don't know. Like Mm -hmm. the only thing I'll, I'll take is willful ignorance. If you go up onto a pole and tell me, you know how to work a chainsaw and you lay that thing across your green strap, we're going to have words, right? Mm -hmm. But If you work with me and you keep on showing me incremental improvement as we go along, I'm going to start taking you along. And all I'm doing is telling these guys the why. The biggest thing that I've seen in my educational career uh, for adult education and then youth education coming into college, teaching these techniques, and now certainly these linemen who are coming out of high school, some coming out of college, is if I tell you the why as to what I need out of this, more than likely they latch onto that. Mm-hmm. So I, I had uh, another apprentice on, on my, my tap-up crew who was like, hey, I, I couldn't make up this material. And I'm like, all right, we had some time to kill at lunch. I'm like, okay, I want you to think that you're in the bucket with me when you're making this stuff up. Mm-hmm. You look at the pole. This is what we've got to have. This is how you make up a poly bell with a dead-end shoe on an eye bolt, <laughs> with a 12-inch eye bolt. Here's how it is. And here are the couple little tricks you can put on there to make your lineman's life easier. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, that's your whole goal in life right now is make your lineman's life easier. And if you do that, you're going to pick up those skills and you're going to start seeing, Oh, this, this all goes this direction. Mm -hmm. That makes sense in terms of how I'm building it out and why you got to look and see. And so I find explaining the why taking an extra couple of minutes on that each day, whatever the skill actually is tends to help
0: the retention for the guys that I'm training in any activity. Mm -hmm. and i and i see that too even with you you know what i mean you're stepping up into that leadership role you know and i i see that other apprentices sometimes tend to do better from peer-to-peer contact you know what i mean A peer like you talking them and letting them know how you're going to set these polys and these these shoes together and make up all their gear that the the lineman needs you know why he feels he can't ask the lineman i don't know yeah maybe
1: i don't know and and that, that's a thing. That's a, that's an individual thing. And there might yeah. be some blocks on that. And, and that, that could be a whole host of reasons, but I do think that, you know, the, the quality from a crew thing, I, I think I lucked out when I first got into this industry, I, I landed with a really solid crew and a really solid foreman. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he knew my name for the first two months, but that wasn't a problem. Probably not. For me. <laughs> he, he, he at least saw that I was showing up early, getting the trucks running, uh and and checking things that i needed to check and that at the very least i was i was paying attention mm-hmm. and he started showing me stuff and then eventually he started calling me nicknames and that's how it goes right mm-hmm. but he at the very least i thought was a very great model for someone who's been in this industry for 20 plus years but who could talk to somebody who was 45 or 30 or 18
0: mm-hmm. in
1: that he never the only time he'd ever raise his voice is if he saw a safety thing That was it. Mm -hmm. I climbed up a pole like my 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 A and B were just like, yeah, you can come up here and help us with the services. And I'm like, great. Awesome. This is what I want to do. And I get my stuff together and I sound check the pole and I get on the thing and I'm going up and I'm trying not to shake the three phase. And I get halfway up and my my foreman comes out and goes, hey, I look down and I go, what? He just looks up at me. He goes, if I ever see you climb a pole without an F.R. shirt on, I'm going to climb up and punch you in the dick. (laughs) and i look down and i'm realizing i'm wearing my t-shirt because it's 98 degrees in freaking georgia and i'm like what i didn't i didn't have a system to check that and Mm. because he is doing his job so i i in guilt and shame a little bit climbed on down got my fr on got back up but that type of lesson where if you just show me the tricky stuff quietly and the stuff that's going to get me in trouble loudly, that's been mm-hmm. working pretty well. And I've seen that work pretty well on some other crews. So take that for what it's worth. These guys are on on online crews for, for teaching uh, these, these up and comers.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there is definitely a a, a proper place for the yelling, especially if you're going to get hurt, you know um, I agree with you a hundred percent. I also, know that some of the best linemen i've ever worked with or even best instructors when i was in the military were the ones who never yelled they didn't have to they, they to. nope the way they carried themselves the way they showed themselves the way their their character shined through and you knew when they spoke you listened that was it they didn't have to raise their voice they didn't have to cuss at you nothing you know and those are the ones that were really impressive those were the the leaders I wanted it to follow and mimic myself after, you know what I mean? I, I agree with you hundred percent on that. Now, Gordon, I recently read a blog you had on hauling mental illness safety and I thought it was quite fascinating. And uh, I was hoping you could share with our audience as I feel as hardworking fathers, uh, you know, we tend to deal with so much stress in our lives already, you know, providing for our families and everything else, you know, holding, holding on to the home and, and, and being that provider and, nurture and everything else protector and everything else we're called to be right. Um, sometimes we tend to forget to talk about people, you know, when we're internalizing that stress, you know, we, we, for whatever reason, men, since we're little kids have been taught, don't cry, don't share your feelings, don't open up, rub some dirt on it. Right. And I'm starting to see a major trend with suicide, depression, um, anxiety, uh, people are are turning to all kinds of vices that are detrimental to their health. you know marriages are getting absolved because of this you know and uh, one of our guest speakers in the past he talked about how men when we deal with these anxieties and we don't express them and talk to them, they tend to come out and they come out in anger. So I was wondering if you could share with us what you know what your insights are on on that and stuff like that and what what men could do for that.
1: Certainly. And I'm, I'm so glad that you, you got so much out of that article and that kind of spurred now this conversation. Mm-hmm. And it, it's I, I've been fortunate now that I can I've got a lot of time to think when you dig a hole. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so and so I get to I get to think about some blog posts. And one of the things that I was doing is, is again, there's there's a lot to be said about the, the, the procedures in place to get a pole from the yard to where it's got to be. Without hitting anything or anyone and getting it up safely and getting the stuff on it and then topping the old pole and going away. Mm -hmm. There's a lot over the course of what that might be a one, one and a half, two day job uh, that's got to go right. Um, Otherwise, we're going to hear about it and we don't want that stuff to kind of happen. And that's got to happen day in and day out. And I'm looking at that going like a lot of these procedures that I'm following on my cruise that I'm learning from a safety perspective are also remarkably similar to the safety procedures I've learned in cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, and all of my hospitalizations, Mm -hmm. right? So all the ways to keep myself safe when life is swirling around and things are moving and I've got so much on my plate that I have to be able to focus to the task that I'm on, uh, get that done, put it to the side and then have a chance to turn around to the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not just the thing that I'm doing. Okay. Otherwise you get burnt out. I think many men can relate to that. Oh yeah. Um, but what I got with, with hauling mental illness safety safely was, the last point, the last bullet point I had on there was was using spotters, mm-hmm. okay? So I'll use myself as the example on this one. Yeah, you back a truck out with a trailer or not, you have a spotter, mm-hmm. sometimes two, right? It's, even if you have a backup cam, it's helpful, right? You, you don't mm-hmm. know what's gonna come around a corner. And the same thing is the case with me and my depression, especially if I have a severe downturn, and I'm spiraling into suicidality. There's a lot of stuff that behaviors that I do Mm -hmm. that I don't recognize that I'm doing them. Or I'm in complete denial about them, and I won't admit them. So I have to have other people who are aware of what I do, what Mm. I not even I say I my depression does. Uh, And they have full authority. So it's my sister, my mother, my father, my girlfriend, and then I've got two friends and a couple of officiating buddies, but under 10 people who know my tells, who know the behaviors and the words that I use when I start getting more and more depressed. Mm. Because the earlier I can become aware of that, mm-hmm. the more likely I can, I can jump out of that rut and, and get out of that hole that I'm digging mentally. Mm-hmm. And so I use these folks and I use a lot of other methods for tracking how I am acting and how my day is going. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I do is I track my mood daily. I've been doing that for almost 870 days, um, multiple times through the course of the day to give me a good average. Uh, But what that helps me do is because I'm an analytically minded individual Mm -hmm. is I can look back and be like, why was that Wednesday such an awful day? and be like, oh, that outage went wrong, and I got yelled at, and I had a bad tuna sandwich that morning, and I slept horrible the night before. I'm like, okay, what can we do to avoid those situations? What's within my control that I can do to, to have a better, you know, next Wednesday or, or next day? Mm-hmm. And so I've got from, a, from a, a support structure on one end and then a data structure on the other end, I've got these two good pillars that keep me upright when I start tipping one way or the other, uh-huh. you know? And the big thing that I found, and this, this was the difficult thing for me. I'm an introvert. I can go, I I could go a whole weekend without seeing or speaking to anyone or uttering a word out loud. Mm -hmm. That is my happy place. I'll take a book and just chill. Right. Mm -hmm. I used to think I had to be so mentally tough and strong with my depression that again, it almost killed me that hangings, overdose and attempts with a handgun. I mean, I can't get much more lethal than that. Yeah. (laughs) And that's because I'm trying to tough this thing out and I just keep getting punched in the face by my depression by these suicidal thoughts these feelings of being a burden to my family uh, to the people that love me uh, even though I'm still doing all the quote unquote right things in life yeah, yeah? and that thought of toughness it was the wrong approach I I, I, I I came up with that it was what my dad taught me it's what My dad's dad taught him Mm -hmm. and I do believe it's the wrong approach. And what I make, I I make a little pin here to make a distinction is I love mental toughness. I love grit. I love perseverance. You've been in the military that is necessary to accomplish the mission at some point, Mm -hmm. right? But it's not the only strategy available. And what I tend to tell young people, and what I had to reiterate to myself over 15 years of dealing with depression and trying not to die, Mm -hmm. was there's got to be some other avenues here. Mental toughness is the last possible thing on the options list. Sometimes you got to grit your teeth, put your head down and go through the wall, right? You just do. Sometimes life's going to get hard. But there's many avenues around that. That's why I do this mental agility piece where I tell these guys, I'm like, look, instead of getting punched in the face repeatedly, move to the frickin' side, mm-hmm. like dodge the blow and come at it with an overhead left. Right. Mm-hmm. You can attack your problem from a completely different direction, but from an area of, of, uh, tactical superiority mentally. Yeah.
0: Flanking. Uh,
1: yeah. You flat, you flank the problem. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you're any less tough or any less good of a man. It just means you you had an opportunity to step back and be like, whoa, there might be a better way to handle this. And I haven't exhausted all the options yet. And that's where I think a lot of people get into trouble on the toughness side of just it's it, man up, get it done, make it freaking happen. Don't talk to anybody about this stuff, because if you do, you're weak. And I'm like, mm-hmm. no, if you talk to other people, you are... One person at the very least, you've just doubled your eyes on the problem, right? So mm-hmm. now we we got two people working on a better solution. And then as I do it with my treatment team, therapist, psychiatrist, prescribing doctor, all the stuff that I got to do, mm-hmm. I have better angles on my problem and people can help me get into a better space. That all is what I come down to with life spotters when it comes to mental health in the same way I'm doing it when I'm back in a freaking trailer. <laughs> I want somebody who has vision of something I don't see. Mm. And that that is a foundational thing. It's a trust thing. Yes, and trust. I, it's, it's, you, you get that in the cruise, and it's something that builds over time. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the things I'll, I'll, I'll tell the guys. You know, When I was doing pole pulling, I got moved over to pole pulling for a couple months. And some guys might get bummed about that. But I'm like, this is an opportunity to get better at something. Fellas, we're not going to break anything, and we're not going to cause outages. Everything else is going to flow from those two goals. And if you have questions on anything that might impact that mission, let me know. And what do you know? Three months later, no outages and no broken equipment. Oh yeah. But because I pulled my crew in, said this is what I need. Right. Mm-hmm. Not what you need, not what you should do, not what I'm ordaining you to make happen, right? This mm-hmm. is just what I need. And I need you to be on point. And if I got guys who are showing me that, then we can work with them. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. No, definitely. And uh, I thought it was interesting that you said about spotters. Okay, and you said that they needed to that you were transparent enough, right? You had the courage enough to be able to let them know that, hey, this is something I'm dealing with, right? I think that's that I commend you on that because not a lot of people want to show that vulnerability for whatever reason, right? Sure. Now. Yeah, it is. It is it's hard. Now, with that being said, Gordon, what are some of the things that we can recognize when someone is not okay? Like say, for instance, I'm a spotter. What are mm-hmm. some of the things I can look for in a person I'm working with? You know what I mean? If they don't, Especially if they don't want to open up with me because I know there's going to be a level of trust. That. They already trust me. We're working in the air. They trust me with their life, right? Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things I can be aware of?
1: So... It's a phenomenal question, and it gets into uh, what is generally known nationwide as mental health first aid. Okay, um, and this is in plenty of organizations. It's in military training to some degree. From some of the friends of mine in the industry, uh, mm-hmm. it's certainly in a lot of first responders as well and teachers. Right. Mm-hmm. So the idea here, when it comes to somebody in, in the midst of a suicidal or mental health crisis, right, where you're, you're the, the idea here is that you're worried about them being a danger to themselves or others. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we're all lay people here in this regard. We're not going to try to predict this or whatnot. But the basic thing is you, you've got a gut feeling and you're like, something's up, mm-hmm. right? So the big thing is, is to trust that gut feeling. Mm-hmm. You, you got to be like, and don't try to be like, oh, everything's fine. And, and, and push that beat. Be like, no, this is somebody I care about, right? We say in, in this industry, I'm my brother's keeper. So let's, let's right. uphold that standard and that ideal. Um, but the thing you look for, in particular for depressors, for those who are severely suicidal or maybe edging that direction, mm-hmm. um, is, a, is a marked difference in personality. I go, mm. This goes one way or the other. They either get super, super freaking active, way beyond what they already got. And the reason being with that is generally if you're starting to plan your life, uh, the end of your life. Uh, you, you get this weird kind of euphoric feeling. I've been mm-hmm. in that space where you're just like, oh, good, you know, I can get a week's worth of work done great because I'm going to die on Friday, right? It's a scary thing to process, but that's one other thing. The other one is going to be the other direction of uh, severe slowdown. I would say that is, in my experience, the more common one. That's mm-hmm. certainly what I've read from uh, and experience myself, but also from folks in the industry, is people talking more slowly, mm-hmm having difficulty finding the words. Uh, And then the other bit is going to be a a pronounced slowdown in movement. Mm -hmm. Um, Very much like they're trying, like, again, Atlas carrying the world, but it's just like everything feels heavy. And the reason being for that is physiologically, when you were in that severe of a depression, Mm -hmm. your body is going through the stress response at its peak. And physiologically, all it's doing is running a marathon, but you're standing still. And so when you're trying to do something and your body thinks you ran 26.2 miles and you got to wake up, it's not going to work out that well. Hmm. So if you're noticing a, a significant change in affect one way or the other, that's like, dude, you, like, Hey, what, any, everything. Okay. Everything going on, everything cool. Hmm. Um, or if you start really noticing that somebody is, is slowing down and, and that withdrawal thing, they're not. Uh, and again, I'm a fairly quiet guy when I'm not yeah. on podcasts or talking, um, but if I'm not cracking a joke here or there over a couple of days, like, Hey, is Gordon, is everything, everything going all right? You know, you mm-hmm. want to chat about anything or what's up. Mm. And that is, that is, that's the first bit on that is recognizing that and then being okay with asking, Hey, how's life, man? What's going on?
0: Mm-hmm. And that was my second question. How would we approach someone like that? You know. <laughs>
1: That's where things get delicate, right? Yes, yes. And, and that's where the biggest fear on this one was suicide intervention prevention. Mm-hmm. And the biggest myth is that if you ask someone, are they thinking about hurting themselves or killing themselves, that you have now put that idea in their head and they're going to go do it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's the myth. None of the research bears that out on any level in any global population. It just mm-hmm. doesn't, right? What it does is, so to to answer that question explicitly is you ask that individual, if you're concerned on that one, hey, I'm worried about you. Do you have a plan to hurt yourself or end your life?
0: Hmm.
1: Are you thinking about killing yourself? Right. That type of direct question leaves only room for three answers. Either they say yes, in which case you can help them get to help. Right. You can be a life preserver in that respect. You can be a support structure for them. They say no, in which case they're probably having a really rough day and could use somebody to chat with or at least just hang tight with them. Right. Right. You know, or they say nothing. And that to me is also an answer. Hmm because if they're saying nothing, you're like, okay, you just internalize that question. Now now the question is, is what do you do on that one? So if you're looking at this as a four-step process, which is again, how I train this um, Mm -hmm. for, for students and teachers, but also what they do at the American foundation for suicide prevention, as well as NAMI national alliance on mental illness, the -hmm. the steps are the same. It's just a little bit tweaks in how you might say something, but it's recognize something's off approach the individual as, you know, are you, th- I'm concerned about you. Are you thinking about hurting yourself, mm-hmm. ending your life? And then whatever they say, have no judgment. F- step three on that one is you are not there to give advice. Mm-hmm. You are not there to give them judgment. You are not there to tell them that life is going to be okay, because in that space, they will not believe you. They will not care. Yeah, They just won't. Right? Um, like when I was in some of my most severe depressions someone would be up there and be like, well, well, your life is great. What do you have to be depressed about? I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, so little about how awful of a person I am. How dare you? Right. Wow. That's the, that's the blocker, right? Yeah. So you're not there to give advice or to give judgment. You were there. There's a reason the AFSP's logo is a life preserver. Mm-hmm. And I use it as this way, a life preserver does nothing but extend time for rescue to get to that individual. Right. You are, you are there to provide a somewhat stable surface so that they can keep on breathing so that emergency personnel can get to this individual or that you can get them there. Right. The life Mm -hmm. preserver on its own does very little. It's just there. All you have to do is be comfortable in this uncomfortable space and be like, I don't know what's going on. When I was 18 years old, Mm -hmm. I was going to kill myself after a practice. I won't go into the details of the plan, but my best friend at the time, and still one of my best friends today, Ben, came up to me in the parking lot. I've got this thousand yard stare on my face and I'm just waiting for the parking lot to empty so I can do my thing. He comes up to me and he goes, Gordon, what's going on? What are you doing today? And I don't say anything. And he has that gut sense. Yeah. And he has Gordon. How can I help? Are you thinking of hurting yourself? And I broke down immediately told him what I was going to do. He stayed with me, got me moving, helped. He was like, hey, a friend of ours is moving. You want to go help him like move some boxes for an hour or two? And I was like, yeah, I guess I could do that. In the back of my head, I was like, I can still kill myself after that. Mm-hmm. Right. But what he was doing in that life preserver instance, right, was extending time in this crisis situation. He was giving my brain time and space to think more critically about what was going on and reducing the overall stress from that tiny suicidal moment, that acute moment of suicidality. Mm -hmm. That's what a life preserver does. No judgment, no advice, just, Hey, let me be here. If you're cool with that, if that's safe, all right, sweet. Hey, you want to go hang out over here? Hey, you have your therapist, somebody you want me to get you in touch with. Would you like me to take you to the hospital? Do you want me to call 911? The fourth and final step on there is, is getting that individual to help if that Mm -hmm. is safe for you to do so right that is the big asterisk on all of this is if you feel unsafe you can't be a good support system yeah and that can happen um but if you feel safe around this individual who you care about and is suffering listen to your gut instinct ask them explicitly are you thinking about hurting yourself or killing yourself or do you have a plan to die by suicide don't be judgmental however they answer and then don't leave them alone. Get them to someone, or get someone who's a professional who can help them. That mm. is the is the the four step process to get someone through acute suicidality.
0: Mm. No, and I like that too. And I, I thank you for sharing that with our audience. Um, I like the fact that you touch base on Brothers Keeper. You know, I I know the lady who started that movement, Della, and you know her story is wow. amazing. She was on our podcast. Her son was a. Uh, a student at California, Nevada, JATC, who passed away. And uh, she started that whole movement, you know what I mean? With being a brother's keeper out here. Right. And um, I liken that to giving, you know, part of being a, a brother's keeper, you know what I mean? Like we say it in this trade is giving people a hand up, not a hand out. And that's what that life preserver does, right? You're giving them a hand up, right? You're, you're helping them, you're holding on to them. Until they can get that help, you know, if they allow it, you know, and just being aware of what's going on. You know, there's so many times in our trade, we talk about having this awareness, right? Don't get tunnel vision. That's what we tell our apprentices. See the big picture, right? And that's what we need to do as men in general, not just in our trade, but with everybody we come in contact with, right? Being able to not have that tunnel vision to see, hey, man, are you okay? Are you doing okay? Right. And it's, it's
1: fantastic that you mentioned that. And I think so many guys, I know I used to be one of them just thought we show Mm -hmm. up, we do the thing, we go home, we rinse and repeat. That's the thing. But as I've gotten more okay with the fact that I am a social creature just by virtue of being a human being, Mm -hmm. and I don't care how introverted I want to be, life has gotten better with other people. Mm -hmm. I didn't really like that when I learned that, but it's, it's true. Yeah. And the thing that I've, incorporated into my pregames when i'm a referee when i'm when i'm maybe not running a tailboard since i'm still pretty low man on the totem pole but at least if i'm working with a couple of ground men first thing that i do to start the day is hey guys what's happening in your life right Mm -hmm. let's take three minutes out of this 10 minute discussion and just see how each other's life's going. And then that now becomes a data point that you can reference, especially if you're leading a crew, but even if you're not, of just like, hey, what's going on? Like I met a guy who I hadn't seen in two weeks. And the first question on my mouth is, Hey, how's the wife and kids? And Mm -hmm. he lights up and talks about them going to the aquarium. And I'm like, okay, I can remember that now. We've deepened our connection a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And when we're out on storm, whenever the heck that's going to be, I know I'm going to be able to be like, hey, Spence, let's let's run, let's go do this stuff. And we're going to be a better unit Mm -hmm. in whatever we're doing. Because I took a little bit of time to care about another man that I'm working with. Yep. And his life.
0: And that's the thing too, man. I, I heard this one quote. No one cares about how much you know until they know how much you really care, you know? And that's the absolute truth. When you spend that time just to ask somebody, hey, how's your children doing? You know, you're building that rapport. You're building that relationship, right? And now those lines of communication are open. It's no different than we do that with our children, with our spouse. And when we let them know we actually care, We're going to have better communication as a whole. We're going to have a better family unit as a whole. And guess what? Your life is going to get a lot better when you go to work because we all know, man, if your household is in disarray, you know, it's going to make it a lot more difficult to focus and not get complacent at work when you're worried about who your wife's going to go, what she's going to go and do or what's happening with your daughter or is your son on drugs or whatever, you know what I mean? have your household in order. And that's the whole mission of the show up dad foundation is having those lines of communication open, being aware, being intentional, being committed and being responsible as a father, as a husband, as a dad, and ultimately being the best version of yourself at work for your brothers to be a brother's keeper.
1: And I'm, 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 Becoming more passionate just hearing your passion right now. Like I'm ready to go charging out of my freaking hotel room door and it's spread the as much <laughs> as I can. Get like, it, babe. It, I think that's that's that bit of just like, you know what? Yes, we're men, we can be mm-hmm. tough. That's not the only freaking thing. And dang it, it actually is tougher if we care about other people, because that's gonna put us out on a limb. Mm. And if we the more and more we intentionally do that the less and less scary it is and the more and more support we and the others around us have. That's just how it works.
0: Mm-hmm. No, no point in making this job any more hazardous than always says, you know, um, no. one of the men I work with, he's a legend out here in Southern California. He used to work for Edison for a very long time. Great man. And uh, he hates it when we say this is a dangerous trade. I mean, he'll tell you this is not a dangerous trade. It's a hazardous trade. You know, and I love what he says. You know, he's got so much passion and fire in the gut. And Ed, if you listen to this, brother, God bless you, man. You're a a big inspiration. But Gordon, thank you so much for coming on here and just sharing your passion, just sharing all this great insight that you had. For uh, mental health and uh, just being aware and being your brother's keeper, brother. Um, I wish you the best of luck. If you have any questions or anything like that, feel free to hit me up. How can anybody reach you on, on what you're doing, your mission, or anything like that? If you'd share that with us, I'd be greatly appreciative.
1: Sure thing. Uh, you can find me at mentallyagile.com that has all my contact info, uh, whether you want to hit me up via email, contact form, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, that'll link out to all that stuff. You just search Gordon Corsetti and, and mental agility. I'm going to pop right on up uh, and I'm pretty easily accessible when I'm not up uh, in the bucket or off on of my hooks. The The phone ain't up there with me. So when I come on back, I'll check my messages. Uh, I'm happy to get in touch. And the more great folks I can meet in this industry like yourself, uh, the, the more I, I, I realize I made a phenomenal choice and I can't wait to give back what what I can.
0: Awesome. So much. Just thank you so much for coming on here, brother. Thank you. Right on, Brad. And you take care and we'll be seeing you soon.
1: Take care.